0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Hey, we're in a series called Embracing Exile, uh, where we're using exile as a metaphor to narrate where the church in America finds itself. Uh, And I recognize that for many of you, there will be varying degrees of resonance with this metaphor. Uh, And so if it's it's something where kind of thinking about it in terms of the American church being in exile, uh, where we maybe have previously been in positions to really shape culture... Uh, but are no longer there, if that doesn't resonate, I encourage you uh, that this metaphor works in a number of different ways, uh, that maybe you feel exiled from broader church culture, maybe there's some things happening in the church that you just don't resonate with anymore and it feels that you have some sort of uh, displacement or maybe it's just a season of personal exile. Uh, I think all of these lessons and things can really help us uh, because I think the metaphor works anytime you feel displaced or disoriented or not at home, uh, the things that we're talking about can, can really resonate and, and help you. So uh, if, if kind of our primary, if the primary way in which we're using the metaphor doesn't really resonate with you, I encourage you to kind of look at it through some different lenses uh, so that this series can be a help to everyone. Uh, in the first week, we actually, uh, was an invitation to embrace exile. Uh, Exile as a season of time when God works powerfully and uniquely in his people. Uh, And then last week we talked about how God uh, works to defeat the chaotic forces of Tohu and Bohu. Uh, Yeah, and uh, Jay sent me a few emails this week about how much he loved Tohu and Bohu. So uh, we're we're thrilled about that. Uh, So Tohu and Bohu are a formlessness and emptiness. They're really used in Hebrew thought as kind of the chaotic forces. So it's those things that come into our lives and just kind of flip everything upside down. Uh, And we talked about how God really works to defeat those chaotic forces by separating, filling, and blessing. Uh, Let us say that what God separates, he fills, and then what he fills, he blesses. And we talked about this as a a particularly helpful way of thinking about the church in general. Uh, That the church church is a group of called out ones. Uh, That is, we have been separated. And then filled with the Spirit in order to be a redemptive blessing to the world. Uh, So, however, you think about church, if it's all just, if it's just about what am I getting out of this, what does this have to do with me, am I being I, 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 if how you think about church is a whole bunch of I statements, there's a pretty good chance you're not getting the full thought or benefit of what church is. That church is called out ones. Who are then filled with the Spirit of God for the purpose of being a redemptive blessing in the world. And so it was a really good reminder to us uh, that this idea is, is really helpful in thinking about the church. And so what we're called to do then is discern uh, how is the Spirit of God working and what it means to be God's unique people in this time and place. And I ended last week's message by saying that in order to be God's unique people in the world, we need a story to root ourselves in, and we need practices to help us live out that identity. So I wanna talk to you today about a story to root ourselves in. Um, So I wanna read a passage of scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. It'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, And then after I'm done reading, I'll say this is the word of God for the people of God to which I invite your response. Thanks be to God. Uh, but let's read this from Hebrews chapter 11. And let me provide just a little bit of context. Many of you may be familiar with this passage. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews is, is basically chronicling m- like a, a list of biblical characters who displayed faith. Uh, and then he comes to the end of the chapter and he says this. Uh, these, that is all those that have been listed, this is starting in verse 39, uh, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received What had been promised. God had been planning something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then beginning with chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders uh, hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, If you're anything like me, you love a good story. Uh, I like stories that are deep and meaningful. Uh, I like stories that teach me something new about the world. I enjoy stories that give me some new perspective on God. Uh, I also like funny stories that seem to have no point. Uh, I particularly like funny stories that are also really smart. Uh, If you can be smart and funny at the same time, that to me is like the perfect stroke of brilliance. Uh, Just like the sitcom, The Good Place. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. That show is funny and incredibly smart. Uh, And I'd be willing to bet that many of you like stories too. You see, from the earliest ages, we long to hear a good story. Uh, Parents read and tell bedtime stories to their children right after birth, from the earliest, earliest days, the youngest ages. Uh, People flock to the theater on the weekends to watch a good story. Uh, During the week, couples and families often end their day by hearing a story, whether that story comes from reading a book or watching a little bit of TV. You know, even video games have narratives, because if you're going to be this character uh, fighting these enemies or navigating this perilous world of Koopas, then I need to know why. I need to know what is the narrative that drives me to do this. So even video games have narratives. What what I'm trying to say is we need a story. Uh, Stories are an absolute critical part of our life. If you were to think about uh, taking anything that is a narrative or a story and taking it out of your life, man, that is like a really depressing thought. We love stories. And given the central place of stories in our lives, we often ask ourselves or want to know the answer to the question, what is our story? Or even more personal than that, what is my story? Have I found myself caught up in a particular kind of story? You know, in the spring and in the fall, sometimes our family will gather around a fire in our backyard and I promise you 100% of the time when we are around the fire, our kids want to hear stories. You know this, don't you? Like you just get around a fire and it's just like we're either singing kumbaya or we're telling stories. Those are the only two options, right? And then if it's a campfire and a certain time of year, then maybe telling scary stories. But other than that, it's just like we want to hear these kinds of stories. Uh, but, But for our kids, they don't just want to hear any story. They always want to hear family stories. They want to hear stories about when grandma was a little girl Or they wanna hear stories about how Amy and I met while on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And they love to hear about how we felt an instant connection over games of Rook and how Amy had no idea how to flirt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they, They love to hear stories about what life was like before they were born or even when we were kids. And so we'll tell them stories about how we used to have to go to a store to rent movies. And the store was filled with all these shelves because every movie was in an an individual case. And you had to go pick out the case and go to the person and and check it out like a library only you had to pay, you know. And then you brought it home and and what the movie was, was an actual ribbon inside of a plastic housing. You know what I'm talking about. And you, you put it in this machine, the lid came up, you put it in the machine, you pushed the lid down. And then you just had to watch the movie. You know, like you could maybe fast forward a little bit, but you just had to sit there and you were committed to the end. And then at the end, you had to rewind the movie. And our kids are like, what? You know, and it's like, you remember remember a little sticker with a smiley face that said, be kind, rewind, you know, and you remember getting a movie that's at the end and you're like, you say a bunch of words under your breath, you know, that we can't say at church. Uh, So it's just like all kinds of, so they love to hear stories. They also love to hear the story of their own life. Have your kids ever asked you about their own birth story? We love to tell the story about how we prayed and prayed and prayed for a child. And years and years and years went by. And we just weren't having any luck. And we had basically given up until one day Amy was pregnant. And we named that first child, Jaden, which means God has heard. We love to tell these stories. And I love to tell these stories because it gives our girls a sense of who they are. You know, the stories of our lives help to form an identity. Stories root us in, in ways that probably are beyond explanation. But the stories that we tell around the campfires, of our own lives, of our own stories. They give us a sense of identity and who we are. They root us in very real ways. And actually, the stories, the the narratives of our life help us to answer really important questions, really important questions like, who am I? In other words, like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be this particular person in this particular place and time in this particular family? It helps to answer some of those deep rooted and deep seated questions of identity. Stories help us answer that. Help us to answer questions of, like, where am I? Like, what does it mean to live at this place in this time? And what is this place that I find myself in? What does it mean to be a citizen of my country? Or what does it mean? to be a human and living in the 21st century. What is, the, the other thing that the question or these stories help us to answer is, what's the problem? And then is there a solution? Right? Have you ever gone through life and you just kind of have this under, this, this kind of undergirded feeling that there's some sort of problem and you need to know the answer. Is there, in fact, a solution to this problem? And I don't know if you've ever really sat down to think about these big questions, chances are maybe you haven't, but the reality is is that you still have a life story or or sometimes what people call a meta-narrative, that is a a grand narrative that you find yourself caught up in or that you find yourself telling, that your life story is still governing your life according to the answers of those questions on a gut level. That stories help shape our values, they help shape our perspectives, our actions, our thoughts. Stories help shape everything. In fact, uh, th- there's an ethicist uh, named Alice Dare McIntyre who once said this, it'll be up on the screen. He said, I can only the answer, answer the question, What am I to do? if I can answer the prior question, Of what story or stories do I find myself apart? And what Alistair McIntyre is basically saying is that you can't live without a story. You have a story that narrates who you are, you have a story that narrates what you are going to do, and so whether, or, whether you know it or not, you have a story, you are living out a particular narrative that is helping you answer those really important questions about your life, but here's the thing. We often find ourselves living at the intersection of a number of stories. Right? In other words, there isn't just a single story. There's all kinds of stories. And all of these stories are competing for our hearts. They are competing for our allegiance. And many times our life is found right at the intersection of all these different kinds of stories that are competing for our hearts and our allegiance. Now, what are some of those stories that compete for our allegiance? I'm so glad you asked. Let's go through some of them. The first one really popular story that helps narrate our lives is the success story or the really close relatives of the wealth and power story the success story is the story that says that life is about accumulating wealth and possessions and oftentimes, inside the narrative of the success story, the only way to gain the number of possessions and the amount of wealth that is needed to feel good about ourselves is to also accumulate power and influence. And so for many of us, this is the story that drives our lives. This is the narrative that primarily drives our life is that life is all about getting some stuff, right? Uh, back in the 90s, we used to wear these T-shirts called No Fear. You guys remember the No Fear brand of T-shirts, right? And the the one, I kept thinking all this week, and I was like, should I include that in the sermon? And then I decided to, right now, this very moment. Um, Like the thing that kept coming to my mind is the No Fear shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys, do you guys know it? Still dies. Still dies, right? And it's like, it was, it was, it was fighting a narrative, that t-shirt was fighting a narrative of he who dies with the most toys wins. And it was trying to subvert that with the no fear brand of saying, you know what, you can die with all the toys in the world, but you're still dead. Okay? And, and let me just tell you, let me admit out front, up front that this is a really, really tempting story. In fact, most of the Old Testament gods like Baal or Baal, uh, were gods of, of property and fertility. In other words, the, the, these gods, often in the Old Testament, these, these false gods, uh, promised that if you worship them, they will give you kids and crops. <laughs> and some of you are like, that doesn't sound that great. Uh, but if you, uh, if you live in a culture purely focused on agriculture, then there are two ways to gain wealth. Crops, right, that gives you more wealth production. But if you have more crops, you need more labor, thus the kids. (laughs) So kids are like happily coloring in their things. That's so good, kids. Only listen to part of the sermon this morning. Um, In in other words, um, many of the ancient gods, and I want you to hear me, many of the ancient gods were gods of a prosperity gospel, where it's like you worship that god, then it was believed that you get a lot of stuff. And the real temptation The real temptation is to merge the Christian story and the success story into one story. Do you hear me this morning? The real temptation is to conflate the success story and the Christian story and make them one and the same. And when we do that, the God who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ becomes simply a means by which we become successful by gaining power and influence. And to this day, many people are tempted by this convergence of stories, the Christian story and the success story. I think it's no accident that when Jesus was actually confronting counter-narratives of his day, he actually plucked out the success story and confronted it head on. And he said, you cannot serve both God and money. So there's the success story. There's also the national story. In the national story, the thing that matters most in life are the wealth, power, expansion, and protection of one's nation state. In the national story, the things that matter most in life are the wealth, power, expansion, and protection of one's one's nation state. And there has been a temptation among the people of God to make a, throughout history, there's a temptation of the people of God to make a particular nation state the city on the hill instead of the global body of Christ that is called the church as the city on the hill. Now what happens is when you make a particular nation to be that city on the hill, uh, it means you've made a particular race, culture, language, etc., to be that particular city on a hill. And this cannot be. For the global body of Christ includes people from all nations, all cultures, all languages. And so we cannot lift one nation over and above another. For the kingdom of God has no borders and is open to all who will call on God by faith. And again, the temptation is to conflate the two and to turn one's nation uh, into an idol. And then there's, an, there's another story. Uh, this one is really, really popular right now. The, 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 the other story and there, there's, by the way, many others. Uh, I chose three because I'm a preacher. Uh, and so, but there's, an, there's another one. Uh, and that is, uh, there isn't a story story. It, it's the story that says there is no story, uh, which ironically is itself a story. <laughs> uh, but this one is crazy popular right now. It's the story that says there's no story, therefore there's no meaning, uh, and so this, is, this story says it's all up to us. There's no standard of what it means to be human. There's no standard of morality. The only thing that matters is me and my intuition. There is no meaning found external of myself. That's the story. That's the no story story. Crazy popular right now. And at first, this seems really, really exciting because you get to deconstruct all of the other stories and then reject them one by one. <laughs> And deconstruction can be, you know, it can be difficult, but it can also have a certain, like, fresh feel to it. I get to say, oh, this isn't it, and that's not it, and that's not it. In fact, oh, there's no meaning to it all. Um, You get to deconstruct all the other stories, reject them, and proclaim that you are the one who determines everything. Uh, But I think quickly this story becomes exhausting uh, because turning yourself into a kind of God can be very, very exhausting. The success story the national story, the there is no story story. And then there's a Christian story. A Christian story that tells the story of creation and then a fall. The story of creation says that God created out of love, that the creation itself is an overflow of loving relationship that God has in community with himself. That just like Young couples often are compelled to have children as an overflow of their love. Now, that isn't always the case, and there's nothing wrong with that, but often the human condition is out of the fruit of this love, we desire for it to procreate into something else, and that in itself is a picture of all of creation that God creates out of love. And so this loving creator then invites us to participate with him in governing his creation with love and respect toward one another and toward creation. In other words, this loving creator shares his authority rather than using his authority to become a dictator over us. In other words, the creation story has so much to say to us about the nature and character of who God is. That God out of love creates and then shares his authority with us Inviting us to govern the world with love and respect. And many times we do this well. Uh, Many times we do not. (laughs) There are times when we exploit one another, when we seek autonomy from God and we fail to govern ourselves and the world uh, with respect and love for one another. And when we fail to do this, it is called sin. And it turns out that we are mediocre rulers with God prone to try to live life on our own, but also capable of some really incredible things. But in the end, in, at the end of the day, kind of mediocre co-rulers with God. Now God responds to this tendency towards sin by entering into covenant relationship with a particular nation. And out of this nation, though, the promise is that all the people of the world will be Blessed. And we can't forget that, that the purpose of the covenant with the one nation is so that this one nation could be a light to all other nations and that all other nations will be blessed through the one. And so the purpose of of calling out this one is to fill it and then call it to be a blessing. Separate, fill, bless. And then out of the nation of Israel comes Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh, and that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have been rescued from our fate of of, of, of falling victim to our own evil. We have been shown the way of forgiveness, love, and mercy. God has empowered us and called us, called out all that is good in us. I want you to hear that. God has empowered us, called out all that is good in us, by putting his spirit in us, restoring his image in us. And so that his invitation continues to be that we will extend his rule into creation. And when we do that, there is this truth that new creation breaks in. Are you with me? That when we hone in to the spirit of God in us, calling out the good in us, Calling out and and perfecting God's image in us, and then we rule creation according to God's goodness, love, and mercy and justice, not only to one another, but to creation itself, then something happens and it's called new creation. This is the Christian story. Sometimes we begin before the beginning, we got to begin in the beginning, and we recognize what God is doing all along, he's bursting forth new creation. And then he enters, God then begins to gather a new people to himself, now centered on allegiance to Christ, and he enters into a covenant relationship with them, that is, us, so that they might be a light, so that we might be a light to all the nations and that through them all the nations would be blessed. You have creation, you have what we have called the fall, you have the nation of Israel, you have Christ and the formation of the church. And then theologian N.T. Wright invites us to improvise. (laughs) Here's the story up to this point. Now go and improvise based on the last bit of the story. You with me? That God has given to us in the gospel a meta narrative that is larger than ourselves that we are being invited into. There's a story that's governing our lives and the the question is, of what story am I a part? What story do I find myself in because I can't know what I'm supposed to do until I answer that question? The invitation of the gospel is, here's a story. Now improvise. It it would be something like this and this comes from theologian N.T. Wright. He invites us to imagine that we have discovered a lost Shakespeare play but that one act is missing. Now we have the first few bits, and we have the final bit, but there's an act in the middle that is missing. Now if this were the case, if we, if, if we really did find a Shakespearean play that we had never found, we had finally unearthed it, but an act was missing, what would we do? We would get all of our Shakespearean scholars together. We would get all of our best actors and actresses together. And we would say, based on your knowledge, of Shakespeare and based on the evidence that we have of this story the first few bits and the final bit then we would ask all of these people then to write the middle act and then we would ask our actors to play it out and then we would put it on Broadway right this is exactly what we would do we would invite them to improvise the missing act And we would invite them to do so in such a way that the missing act that they write is congruent with the story that has been told up to that point and is congruent with the story that is told at its conclusion so that their act, their part, would anticipate the ending that Shakespeare had written. This, N.T. Wright suggests, is a good way of thinking about where we are at in the Christian story. that we have a picture of the final act where all things will be made new. We have the story all the way through the victory of Christ and the establishment of the church. And basically, the encouragement for the people of God then is to live in a way that anticipates the future. You with me? And then of course, we have the evidence of the last little bit, the new creation that God has defeated evil and death so that we now have hope that one day all things will be made new. What the Christian story does is it subverts the, the narratives of the other stories. Where the success story would tell you that your value is based only on your wealth, your measure of success, your level of influence or your position of power, What the Christian story does is it says that your value is inherent to your existence. That you are an overflow of the love of God. That you bear his image and that you are valuable because you are here. What the national story does is it tends to elevate people that are like me or that are from where I'm from, all of these kinds of metrics. It elevates value based on those metrics. What the Christian story does is it says that God loves people from every tribe, language, and nation. What the no story story does is it says that there's no meaning external to myself, but it's all up to me and my own intuition, my own best ideas. Uh, There is only the meaning that I assign to something. What the Christian story does is it shows us that life does have inherent meaning and value. And I want you to hear this, that there is beauty all around us if we will learn to see it. Um, very, very consistently. Anyone, someone, anytime someone has like a unique experience of God, uh, what we might call mystical experiences, uh, very consistently as people tell those stories, uh, it's like they plug into a river or a stream of beauty that is all around that they had never seen before. People, people will talk about... Um, inherent value, they will use language of love that is undescribable, uh, they will use language of new vistas being open, new pair of glasses or lenses by which to see the world. Like any kind of these mystical experiences very consistently have beauty as a core element. And, and what I want to say is that if we can learn to see if we can lean into the Christian story, then we will begin to know and experience and see that of course there is inherent value external of myself. It is all around me. Now it doesn't mean that everything is always wishy-washy or it doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory. It doesn't mean that everything is just fine all the time but it does mean that there is literally a stream of beauty flowing through the world. And then some of you are like, Pastor Andy just got weird. Um, But what I'm trying to do is use language for which there is no language. I'm trying to put language to something for which there is no language. Um, Which is exactly what anyone with a mystical experience is trying to do. (laughs) But what what I want us to see today is that There's this grand meta-narrative that we are being invited into. It is larger than ourselves and it has something to say about who we are, what we are to do, and the beauty that is all around us. Do you hear me? Uh, Up on the screen, I want to put an alternative translation to the Hebrews passage that I read. And and what it does is, is it takes the primary metaphor that the writer used... Uh, and turns it into a story metaphor. Uh, and I think it's a, a, a pretty b- brilliant churn of phrase. So this is not, I don't think based on any kind of Greek translation, it's just a, an, an alternative way of kind of understanding a similar passage. And it says this, and this is how I want to end. Um, a paraphrase of Hebrews chapter 11, 39. But all of these died, convinced that there was a story that was more true than any other story in the world. Now, they died looking forward to the final act of new creation, but that story is not complete without us. And so now, since we're surrounded by all these folks who live the story so well, let us get rid of all the ways those other stories shape us. Let's take those off and look to Jesus, the one who is writing the story. He's the main character. It's his story, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the glory of the story took on the cross despite its shame and now sits at the right hand of the Father urging us to go on being faithful to this story. My final encouragement for you today on this intergenerational Sunday is to tell the story as though it is our own because it is. To not tell the, the gospel story or the Bible stories as though they're somehow so disconnected from us but to recognize that when we read the scriptures and when we tell the stories to our kids and to our grandkids that what we're doing is we are telling our story we're telling the story of humanity trying to seek and understand who God is and that's exactly what we are trying to do right? And thank God he gave us the revelation of himself in Jesus Christ, that this is not a story so disconnected from our own, but rather a story that is like the water that a fish lives in, and we're being invited into it and to see it. And so I invite you to live the story, to share the story, and to tell the story. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us, for the kids that are with us this morning, who love you, who are shaped by you. God, may they be molded into your likeness. God, our prayer is that that we would do well to first live this, this story, Uh, to to begin to see it not as something disconnected from ourselves or so distant because of time and space, but, but rather, God, to recognize that when we listen and hear and tell the gospel story, that this is our story. Lord, may it hit home in a new way today. And God, thank you for the ways in which through the story of Jesus Christ, you have shown us love, mercy, forgiveness. These new ways of being and operating in the world. God, may we understand these truths not just with our head. For I just don't think that that's gonna get us where we need to be. But Lord, may we come to understand these things in our hearts. May this story truly be the story that we are rooted in, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.